Dear Diary, I'm feeling a little flustered after an exciting yet confusing day at school. Firstly, my friend Wendy is in the running for homecoming queen. I am so excited for her and I really hope she wins, despite how strange she's been acting lately. Every time I pass her in the hallway, she looks paranoid, like she's running away from something. Plus, she nearly killed Jessica with a deadly bicycle kick at soccer practice today. Honestly, I think a fight between Wendy and Jessica would really stir up some more votes for Wendy. Also, note to self, don't forget to remind the principal that my dad is a dentist and can probably help with that rancid breath situation he has. XOXO, toodles. To be the homecoming warrior, you need the aggression of the tiger, the flexibility of the snake, the speed of the leopard, the balance of the crane, and the talkativeness of a podcaster. <laughs> Very cute. I like that one. <laughs> that one actually took effort. I had to go back and re-listen to parts of the movie. Right. <laughs> oh. Here we are. I also love the idea. I also love the idea that she's referred to the home as the homecoming warrior. That's like her title. You know, like that, like I didn't notice that until you just said it. And I was like, is that really what she's called? Well, that's what she's called in the title of the movie. But in the. Oh, the, yeah. In the actual movie, she's just referred to as like the. I forget what the term what is. What is she referred to as? The like yen warrior. The, something yes, like the that. Yes, the yen warrior. Yeah. Um, welcome to the Disney <laughs> Desk, everyone. I'm Carter. And I'm Sydney. And welcome to the very last episode of Ugh. Disney Channel Month. I am sad. Like, of all of the fun things we've done in this iteration of the Disney Desk, this has been so much fun. And I, like, am kind of sad to see it go. Like, what an era for us. Right? It is, like, I don't know, like, you know, we we map out our schedules pretty well in advance, so we know what we're talking about for the month, and we have, like, time to prep everything. But, like, waking up, or starting every week and being like, oh, goody, we get to talk about this thing. Yeah. Has been very, very exciting. It's been one of the most consistently, like, energized months for me, where I'm like, there's no, like, getting hyped up. I'm already hyped up. Right. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Like, I think... You can, at least I can hear it when I go back and listen to old episodes that, like, we map out the entire month, like, from, like, you know, from the first of the month through the entire thing, like, prior to when that month starts. And it's, like, you can hear (laughs) kind of, like, a fluctuation of energy um, depending on, like, some topics we cover are a little more cumbersome than others. Some are really easy and come naturally for us. And obviously we love all of it, but it's like, yeah, you're right. There is like a consistency with Disney Channel topics with us um, where like we've just like maintained this like heightened level of excitement about everything that we've been talking about. Yeah. Every now and then you'll have an episode where you're like, you know, you're like, why did we pick this? Or like, yeah, interesting to say about this. Right. Whereas this, I'm just like, 
are we going to be able to keep this under two hours? Exactly. I've been holding this in my whole life. Like I'm ready to go. So we hope that you've enjoyed Disney Channel Month as much as we have. Um, Thanks for coming along for the ride. Um, And we hope that it's been just as nostalgic and fun for you as it has been for us. But yes, this is the very last episode of the Disney Channel Month. And for this last episode, we decided to do a little bit of a hodgepodge topic. We decided to do another DCOM diary. We decided to dive headfirst into one single Disney Channel original movie. But we left it up to the patrons to decide that movie. It is a patron's choice episode. Today is a patron's choice episode. As you've heard me say before, um, subscribers to our $3 lowest tier on our Patreon um, get to vote every month on what the very last episode of the month will be. And we knew that it was going to be on us reviewing a specific DCOM. That that we already decided. But we gave them a couple options, and the one that everyone voted for was none other than Wendy Wu Homecoming Warrior. Warrior, baby. Yes, and you know what? Like... I am actually kind of relieved that we're doing this because like as a as a gross oversight on my part like we have made no reference to AAPI month at all which like I have to apologize oh, for um not even on social media like we've like I have just been so focused on marketing for Disney Channel month and like this whole themed month that I completely forgot to honor and acknowledge Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. So it is kind of a happy coincidence that um, this Chinese-centered film um, is what our patrons wanted to watch anyway, is wanted to hear us talk about. Um, so, so with this episode, we're hoping to give a nod um, to AAPI, and um, and get into this really classic decom. Do Do you want me to edit all that out so we can pretend that this was always the plan? Nope <laughs> we have to we have to have our accountability here. We forgot we dropped the ball. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. But yes, I mean, the minute we put this on the list, I knew it was going to get picked because yeah. knowing my friend circle, <laughs> right? They they very much were pushing this one up a hill. Which yeah. isn't hard, because again, this out of all the... I don't know your relationship with this, and we'll get into this, mm-hmm. but this is probably, in terms of DCOMs I watched, with up there with Smart House, Halloween Town, Mom's Got a Date with a Vampire, and like maybe Stuck in the Suburbs as a top five viewed one. Yeah. Where it's like, if there is not a DCOM already on the Disney Channel that night, this is the one that's getting put on via like Comcast or right. like whatever app we have. Right, Yeah. Yeah, like, I remember this one having a really big marketing campaign leading up to it. Like, this was made a huge event. And we'll get into why that is, but, like, revisiting, like, I totally see why they hyped this film up in the ways that they did. Just because they spent a lot of money making it. And you can tell. Yes, we we have a lot of ground to cover on this one, and I'm really excited to get into it. But first... It is time for yet another Internet Minute. All right, what are you bringing to the table this week, Sydney? Okay, 
Um, mine is a little mini discussion that comes from Twitter. Um, today's Internet Minute comes from at Twitter user HimBobby, I think their name is. Um, and they say they posted like four images of Snow White, Cinderella, Ariel, and Elsa. And it says, this week on the pod, I, I think this person has their own podcast, and maybe I should look into that more. I realized that almost every time Disney was on the brink of financial collapse or were just in need of something that would take them to the next level, they turned to Disney princesses. Like, the princesses have always been there to bail out the mouse. And is that, like, I have to really think about this, because I don't know... I, I kind of agree, but I feel like it's a lot more nuanced than that. I mean, is it a little more nuanced? Almost certainly. But in the broad sweeps of history, like, it does, again, one of the things that's very pointed about Disney that always interests me is one of their main, like, sort of marketing brand, their main, like, sort of claim to fame is a, like, the princess brand. It is an yeah. inherently feminine-leaning sort of merchandising marketing thing which is like you know that's rare you know that's like you know how many companies have that as their advantage other than like what barbie My mm-hmm. Little Pony. like there's not a lot especially for a company as big as disney that's rare usually they're trying to get in on the boys it's all about right. the boys right and right. usually anytime disney tries to do stuff just for the boys it ends in a fiery disaster yeah um <laughs> but yeah, it, it, like, it is pointed. I think there is something to Disney constantly. And I don't think it's just the fact that it's a princess thing. It usually is. There are these periods where they really stray away from the musicals in general. That mm. usually end in disaster. Like, having Fox and the Hound and, like, uh, Black Cauldron being kind of almost back-to-back as just this knuckle sandwich of disaster. Like, you know, the early 2000s was, like, Chicken Little, like, oh, these God, periods yeah. where they just kind of give up on the musical idea. I, for some reason, I just, you know, for a number of socio reasons that we right. don't get into here. I think a part of it, too, is not just... Because the princess thing and the musical thing kind of go hand in hand for the most part. They're not, right. like... yeah. If you look at the list of princesses, princesses, the only ones who don't really sing are, like, Merida and Raya. Um, right, yeah. In terms of their official princess canon. Right. Um... So, yeah, I do think there's something to them remembering who they are, and it's like, oh, right, this is how we built an empire that gets them back in the game. Yeah, you know, I can agree with that when I think about films like Moana being the overwhelming home run that it was, and trying to think of what sort of came just before Moana, what the what the Disney landscape was even looking like at that time before they decided to, like, pull their Hail Mary pass and... And, like, bring everybody back. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because it's like that era. It's like, what are the ones people remember from that era? Tangled, Frozen, Moana. Right, yeah. All musicals, all female-led. Exactly. And, like, you know, I would argue one of the reasons, and it's interesting because I talked about this, like, the whole, like, blue-isle, pink-isle thing in my notes from the host, but, like, you know, I do think a part of why the success, like, multiplied this time is because... They pointedly tried to make, you know, it seems like they were going out of their way to make princess musicals that also had, like, the boyish elements. Because, like, all of mm-hmm. them have, like, a pretty prominent male lead who's not necessarily the love interest. Kristoff's not the love interest for right. Elsa. I mean, he is a love interest. 
you know, and Maui's obviously not a love interest for Moana. Right. And the only exception is Flynn. Yeah, I guess, like, you know, I guess the real question to ask here around this discussion is, like, okay, so are the princesses a bailout or are they just a return to default? Like, hmm. you know, like I... Can they not be both? Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, I guess <laughs> they they simultaneously fulfill both needs of, of yeah, a, a return to, like, an established standard, you know. I guess my hesitation, like, comes with these specific princesses that this person like included in this post with being like snow white cinderella ariel and elsa i guess i'm just like like i we we can't include snow white in this because that was the like that's the birth yeah that's the birth of this concept um but it like absolutely this works for ariel and for um elsa Right. But, you and know. like even Cinderella, it's like that's grading on a curve because it's like, right. well, there was a reason why they weren't making as much money, and there was a reason why they weren't making feature films. It was literally World War Two, right? Like a disproportionate amount People of people weren't there, were simply unavailable. Yeah, <laughs> right. They um, had to make vignettes and shorts because they. It's like we do not have the we do not have the bodies to make an animated film right now. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. This is like a lot deeper of a, a discussion, but I'm always so fascinated about the way Disney ebbs and flows with like socioeconomic events of, of, of the day. Um, mm-hmm. It's pretty clear. I think sort of more obvious than other studios actually. Yeah. I, I mean, it's absolutely, especially because it's like, I don't know. Disney has a level of institutional competency where they're never going to, and they're just entangled in so many different avenues. They're never going to completely collapse. Right. Like we're looking at Warner Brothers right now, and it's like, God, is this studio going to survive? Yeah. We've seen like Fox collapse. We've seen Sony struggle. Like Disney will be around. It's whether or not they are like the face of pop culture or not. Or not. Yeah. So it makes those like it becomes less a question of like individual leadership competency and more of a larger societal, like, larger societal movements toward or away from Disney. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does, yeah. All right, what's yours? Mine is one I'm sending to you right now. Uh, okay. I did another, like, sort of official press thing because I, you know, not being those Homer accusations, I realize. Um, but I did... Uh, Marvel Entertainment posted a YouTube video called Iron Man 15 Years Later with Kevin Feige and Jon Favreau. And it is a sort of sit-down, edited talk where Kevin Feige and Jon Favreau talk about the first Iron Man, which recently got put in the Library of Congress as, like, an example of important recorded art. Um, And there's a lot to unpack here. Look, I am someone who comes back and says, like, guys, the first Iron Man's good, but it's not great. Like, let's... Mm-hmm. And when people put it in its, their, like, top five and ten Marvel movies, I'm like, guys. That's just an guys. honorary, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, this is purely symbolic. Right. Especially as someone who's, like, really big on Iron Man 3 and the fact that people are finally coming around on that thing. I'm like, oh, look who's, like, the stock master of Marvel. Right. You ready to come around on Eternals yet, people? Nope. <laughs> um, I'm still waiting. Uh, anyway, and but this talk really was great, and it really does underline, one, again, I'm a sucker for pomp and circumstance, and this is, like, the best example of this, of just, like, two creators talking about, like, 
we had to make something that never existed before. There was no concept of a Marvel Cinematic Universe. We did not have a blueprint. There's no model to follow. There's no anything to follow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the only thing we're really building off of is, like, the X-Men and Fantastic Four movies and the Spider-Man movies, which are a range of tone successes and failures. A lot of failures. A lot of failures, yeah. (laughs) And one thing they didn't really talk about here that I... Well, one, they also talk about, like, how collaborative this one in particular is because they're like, yeah, the minute we brought in... Robert Downey Jr., it, like, kind of set the tone, and that's when you finally have that gemstone of, like, okay, this is what we're building off of. This energy is going to dictate every other idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so many things grow holistically out of that. They also underlined how much of that script was improv. Like, mm. you know, they had a... And that's, like, kind of John Favreau's energy. He'll, like, write out a scene idea, and then, like, you'll kind of figure out how you talk that out mm-hmm. um, there. Apparently, it drove Jeff Bridges crazy. Because he's a little more like, could we have, could I have a page, please? Um, and also, the one thing they don't talk about here is like, and I do think, like, I I do think Iron Man deserves pomp and circumstance because this was a risk. I know it sounds silly to call it a risk because now Marvel is one of the most successful entertainment companies on the planet, owned by the most successful entertainment company on the planet. But like, when Marvel started out doing this, they were doing this as, like, an independent project. They'd taken out a loan from Merrill Lynch. And there was a rare, very Ooh. real possibility if, like, Iron Man bombed or Thor and Captain America bombed too hard. They could just lose the company. Like, Merrill Lynch oh would just own chunks of Marvel. And imagine, like, the path history would take if Merrill Lynch <laughs> I can't. Just, could just, like, engulf, like, chewed up bits of, like, spider-man captain america like it's almost unfathomable to think about how different things would have gone if iron man didn't hit and like it's a miracle like it came out the same summer as dark knight and yet it still was a huge box office hit wow yeah like i don't know it's a cool little like 20 minute video i highly recommend it i will post it in the um uh the uh description for this episode Mm -hmm. because i do think it's a cool little retrospective from like two guys who basically built this entire thing right wow that's interesting and now back to your regular scheduled programming okay so let's talk about wendy Wu, homecoming warrior so woo, woo yeah first of all i didn't even mean to do that <laughs> yeah that's like this is an exciting film um you know, even okay. before... Actually, can I just say, yes. when her dad comes up with a catchphrase for homecoming queen thing, how is it not just, woo? Woo! Yeah. <laughs> it's so cleaner than Wendy who, Wendy woo for homecoming queen. <laughs> You're supposed know. to do this as a job? Right. Yeah, people, yeah, she was right to say, people pay you for this. Isn't that what she... Right. I'm like, <laughs> how are you affording this house? Oh my God. Okay, yes. Um. So... You know, to to open this discussion today, you know, on the topic of Asian representation in in media, um, I wanted to bring in another YouTube video that I recently watched. There's there's this YouTuber who covers actresses in Hollywood, a lot of like classic actresses. She covers like what their career has been, what their relationship is like to the Academy um, and sort of the history of like really classic films. She also does this with modern actresses as well. She focuses on on female actresses and female filmmakers as well. Um, Her name is uh, on YouTube is Be Kind Rewind. I don't know if you've ever seen some of her work. 
Um, she recently made a video about Michelle Yeoh and the the success of Everything Everywhere All at Once and how an actress who has had as long a career as Michelle Yeoh, you know, is not sort of receiving the recognition for her talent um, uh, until the year 2022 and 2023. Um, and... A lot of that discussion, a lot of her video was about how for 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 most of time, Hollywood has only ever accepted Asian storytelling under the guise of like mystic kung fu storytelling, like karate, um, mystical, magical dragon lady stuff. And un- only when they're ready to tell a story like that are they interested in casting Asian actors um, that's kind of the only lens that they see these actors through. Um, <clears throat> that's that's like the only place that they feel is appropriate to be featuring Asian people is in these like mystical stories. So I, I, I can't help but feel like when we talk about Brenda Song and the kind of career that she has had with Disney that, you know, I'm thinking like, gee... You know, she's got this really great role on The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. This is not the first decom that she's been a part of. We saw her in Stuck in the Suburbs and um, in Ultimate Christmas Present. Is that what that's called? Ultimate. What's the one with the snow machine? Yes, that's. (laughs) Yes. Ultimate. The Ultimate Christmas Present. The Ultimate Christmas Present. um, Where I would I would call both of those like more supporting roles. But the first I, I think like. You know, she's she's grown up on the Disney Channel, and yet the first time that we see her lead a decom, you know, it's in a mystical dragon lady movie. And, you know, I hate to be, like, so cynical about something like this, but, but gee, I can't help, I can't help, I can't help it, um, because, you know, this is the first role that that the channel has made any indication to her ethnicity. Um, and certainly in, in no other movies except for Luck of the Irish, you know, is, is, this, is, is the lead's ethnicity ever, like, a part of the, the freaking story? So... Right. Yeah, so I mean, what are well, your thoughts on I that so far? I was going to say, it is very fun... Well, first off, let me say, it's very, very funny that the two DCOM dire... Like, the first two episodes we do <laughs> under the brain, Decom Diaries, are this and Leg of the Irish, which is the white version of that, where it's like, oh, yeah. you're from Ireland, you're somehow connected to leprechauns. Right. Sorry, that's we all we got. Rules. Yeah. Like, that's the only, like, maybe if you're like br- English, you can do something with King Arthur, but those are like the two no. things you get. If you're, <laughs> yeah. Like, those are the two, that's the closest white people have to that. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it I mean, and, like, you know, when individual writers are doing this, they probably don't think about it in broader cultural trends. And also, like, critical ra- race, like, criticism wasn't as mainstream in 2006 as it no. is now, perhaps. Like, it was there. It just wasn't, like, mainstream. Yeah. Right. Um, so when Disney sees a, you know, a Tai Hmong actress um, in their pantheon who also is a black belt in Taekwondo, they're probably, like... Um, Although I suppose she she might not have been a black... I know she's a black belt now. I don't know if she was when this was filmed. Yeah, okay. Is is the more accurate way of putting it. But, like, you know, they're like, okay, she's a lead. 
it's going to be in, she already has some of the action stuff down. And right. then somehow you end up back in that same place of like mythical dragon warrior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's, you know, again, it's like, oh, these are the, you know, that's what gets butts in seats. You know, crouching tiger, this, that. Right. Um, it might be a little too early for Kung Fu Panda at this point. But that same like pool, like, you know, it's made money. We want to make money. So we do it. Right. And now, like, you know, now that like this kind of discourse is more mainstream, people look back and go like, okay, every time though? Yeah. Every time. Yeah. What's funny is Brenda Song's current Disney Channel role that she just wrapped up, Amphibia, is weirdly more culturally sensitive in that sense where she does, but like the character she's playing, Anne Boon Choi, like, you know, they acknowledge that she's Thai. Mm-hmm. And in the third season, when she like finally gets back to Earth, like a lot of like subplots are about like her family owns a Thai food restaurant. And, like, you know, this one guy who owns a food truck keeps being like, if you give me your recipes, I could, like, you know, do this. And mm-hmm. then finally at the end of the episode, he's like, you know, I'm realizing this is a gross appropriation of your culture. I apologize. <laughs> or, like, well, there's an nice. episode at the temple. You know, there's an episode at the temple where, like, the sense of community is a big subplot. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that, like, and I think that's the ultimate example where of, like, how things change. Where it's like, yes, Disney in 2005 sees Brenda Song and goes, Mythical Kung Fu movie. Let's go. Check. Yeah. And now for their animated show, uh, you know, written by someone of the same descent, they're like, well, yeah, she's Thai, but that's not a part of how she gets magical powers. That's not yeah. part of any of the mysticism. That's just her identity. Right. Yeah. So, you know, this is the framework that I kind of went into this with, like when I revisited this film. And, you know, I have to like... I guess that's 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 the lens that I'm I'm watching this through where I'm asking myself like two questions here. Like what what is what's what's the point here? What's the joke here? And I'm like is is the idea here that that Asian peoples more than other people are supposed to be are are supposed to be super connected to their culture and maybe when we get more into the story and plot like, this conversation will be a little more appropriate. But, like, is the joke that these are Asian people that are, that that do not feel, quote-unquote, Asian, is the joke that they are, like, a Chinese family that know nothing about China? Are they supposed to know something about China? I, I Again, it's interesting. And, again, it's so weird that yeah. Lucky the Irish has the same stuff in it. But, like, it's weird that, like... The luck of the Irish is the one where it's like, we were so prosecuted when we first came to this nation. We were so ashamed. Whereas this one, I guess that said a little bit where it's like, you know, we wanted them to have a normal American life, but it's not like, you know, that's a scene. That's not the entire movie. It is so weird. And like, again, I'm not too familiar with the writers, um, Vince uh, Chung and Ben Montanio. Apparently they worked on, well, they worked on a lot of Disney Channel stuff. Um, they worked, the other um, things they did with the Disney Channel are Wizards of Waverly Place and American Dragon Jake Long. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's complicated because it's one of those, like, well, which came first? Like, what mm-hmm. decision was made first that trickled down to create all of the other decisions? How, like, what parts of this were the parts that attracted you the most and the other parts are more incidental to fill out the plot? I would, And that's one thing that disappoints me with, like, Disney Chan- or Disney Plus's approach to a lot of the DCOMs where it's like 
they have them a lot of them on there, but they don't have any additional content. Like we talked about with High School Musical, there are so many behind the scenes things. Yeah. And so many videos showing off. Like they had all of those like Disney 411 things. Oh, uh, that's that, what it, it was called. All yeah. of that stuff is effectively lost media now because yeah. you can't get it on official Disney sort of silos. And for me, like again, Disney is a for-profit company. Of course, their streaming service isn't going to be a public resource. But I would love to see all of that stuff because it would help us, like, figure out, like, critically analyze these things better. Right. And see, like, how they were selling this versus how, like, the creators approached it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. All right. So, Carter, can you give us, like, a brief description, a synopsis, if you will, of um, Wendy Wu, Homecoming Warrior? (laughs) You're so good at that. Yes. Okay. So Wendy Wu is your typical Chinese American teenager. She is currently in high school and she really, really wants to be the homecoming queen. She is currently campaigning against her sort of school rival, uh, Jessica. (laughs) Yes, of course it's a Jessica. Um, (laughs) When suddenly her life gets completely flipped upside down, when she starts to notice she's suddenly gaining some kind of like superhuman abilities. And then Right when she's really beginning the push for Homecoming Queen, a young Buddhist monk arrives named Shen, who explains that you are a part of a long descendant of warriors. Your great-grandmother was one. You're one. You are yin warriors, destined to fight the mythical dragon, apparently he's a dragon, uh, Yan Lo, a, you know, who you and the reincarnations of you have been fighting for millennia. If he gets out... He's basically going to bring plague, famine, and ruin upon the earth. So she is forced to train while simultaneously campaigning for homecoming while trying to get Shen to enjoy life outside the Buddhist temple, leading to them finally confronting Yan Lo. Yeah. Oh, goodness. You know what's funny? Mm-hmm. I'm shocked how much of this I remembered, where I'm like, I remember this scene. I remember this scene. I have great, like... We talk about, like, with a lot of my Disney memories, like, I have more, like, graphic images as yeah. opposed to cool scenes. And I'm like, no, every single individual scene, other than the mooncake scene, which we will get to, mm-hmm. I vividly remember. And yet, I just didn't remember what order they are. And when you put them in a, this specific order, you're right. like, it's really weird that you put them in this order. It feels like you, like, it feels like you had all the pieces for, like, like a Lego set, but you, like, right. got the instructions mixed up. So you're like, right. hmm. Or you just tried to intuit your way. Yeah. I feel that way about like the one liners. I mean, like, I forgot like how many zingers and like of the like iconic one liners uh, that just this movie has alone. I mean, like, we kind of talked about this with High School Musical and like these really snappy, zippy like quips that they were so good at writing in. And um, this movie has a few, a few jokes that really like got me good. <laughs> so yeah, I forget how many like one-liners I actually remembered from <laughs> from seeing them over and over again in childhood. But yeah, yeah. I, it's interesting because like we talk, you know, we started this conversation with sort of the messy like troping and stereotyping that can come when a predominantly white studio commissions um, mm-hmm. you know, commissions writers to make a story based around like kung fu. Um but at the same time it's like you can see how they got away, you know, you like you can see why this was considered acceptable at the time because it is painfully entertaining. That's true. Yeah, it is it's exciting, it's entertaining. Um 
it's it's a very well done action film. Right. Um, should we just start with the action? Because that just feels like the big obvious. Like, yeah, if High School Musical's pull was being a musicale. Yeah, it's very clear. Like, yeah, that one was like, hey, let's do a whole Disney Channel movie, but around singing. And this one was, let's do a whole Disney Channel movie around kicking ass. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's dive into that. Um, you know, when you were rewatching this and like messaging me about it, the first thing you said was like, I forgot how much wire work was in this. They really right. spared no expense with this film. Right. Yeah. I So apparently it had a budget of $5 million and every penny of that, other than some of the dodgy CGI, but again, it was right. like 2006, <laughs> the CGI was going to be dodgy. Like it, it is on the screen. I, for some reason in my head, I thought so much of the action was just going to be a few re- decently choreographed hand-to-hand sequences, maybe some stuff with like a broom or a stick. And then like using sort of like tricky cuts and like that right. slow-mo like blurring effect. Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, they use all of that. But at the same time, there are several <laughs> just like long takes of this where the camera is like out wide and we're just watching these people like do right. battle against each other, like hand-to-hand, stick-to-stick. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, like, action scenes are already hard enough because you have to, like, you know, there's the choreography. You have to spend months doing choreography mm-hmm. and making sure, like, everyone on the team understands exactly what that action scene is going to be because otherwise, you know, someone could get hurt. Yeah. You know? But to add wire work to that, which is a whole other avenue of, like, insurance and coordination and just, like, right. mechanical know-how, it's so impressive. I was impressed oh, by... I was impressed by, um, like, the outdoor action scenes. Because I'm like, are they rigging the... Like, it's one thing to, like, rig something on a soundstage. Or, like, like rig like right. rig up wires inside, like, a controlled building. But to have, like, an, an outdoor version of that adds, like, another right. level of complication. That, that's what I am like, most yeah. impressed with. Yeah, and it's not, like, an outside set. This is, like, outdoors, outdoors. Yeah. Like, there's that bit in Shang-Chi where he's, um, uh, the Mandarin, I know he's not actually called that in the movie, but, like, Mm -hmm. he's, like, fighting, he's met his wife for the first time and they're fighting. And you're, like, they're in this little, like, perfect little nature enclave, but you're, like, well, this is a set. Like, no, no, they are on location. They are using digital cameras out in some park that happened to be, like, somewhere in New Zealand where they were filming. Right. And it's, like, yeah, figuring out how to coordinate that outside with like climate effects Mm -hmm. i can't imagine how much of a pain in the ass that was to do for again what was a like television movie right like all of this especially even graded independent of being graded on the curve i'm like this wire work looks better than some movies because it's not just that like because wire work is tricky because it's like you know how realistic do you want it to look do you want it to look like they're actually doing these jumps and like gliding around or are you just fully leaning into, like, the fantasy of it and be like, all right, let's, like, shelve, let's table realism. Like, if it looks a yeah. little wonky, that's fine because it's like, well, they're doing supernatural kung fu anyway. I, like, no, this looks like stuff they reasonably, like, they're actually doing. I actually like, the kind jumps of... make sense physically. Well, see, it's like, it's good that you point that out because I actually kind of like the the times where they lean into the fantasy of it like i'm thinking of one of the first fight scenes in the film where it's um what's his name shen and and her brother are like fighting in the house and like jumping off of this like balcony thing like while she's sleeping in the middle of the living room and like they're 
like the idea that they're not making a peep or breaking anything at all while like jumping over the countertops and like <laughs> fighting over the couch. Um, you know, like along with with the with the design and, and choreography, like along with that is this costuming element when we um like I, I'm so impressed with the costuming and the specifically the scene towards the end with the terracotta warriors, even mm. like as a um when I watched this as a kid. I thought that was, like, so impressive um, to give the effect of, like, actually... Like, could you imagine being hit with, like, a stone? <laughs> like, a, like, like a stone person actually punching you? Um, like, that's, that's kind of the idea here. Um, and I also forgot about th- this, like, chalk dust effect that they have yes. right out of the jump, like, from the beginning. Everything has this, like, dusty chalk effect, which I... Actually, can't tell whether that's digitally added or if that is actually a physical element. Um, to- traditionally, it's a physical element, just to add like a sense of impact and like pump yeah. to the like action. It's it's like a common trope in like movies with a lot of martial arts. Scott Pilgrim uh, famously used it, and it was the first like time I'd seen it growing up. Um, but it's also funny because that pays off because when they're fighting terracotta warriors, they're like, right, they're musty as hell. Yeah. They've been underground. Right. Um, I will say with the terracotta warriors, I do love just the in-universe logic of like, you know, the Chinese government sends these things out as like, you know, like a, like, I don't know, a cultural exchange for lack of a better word, I suppose. But it's like, yeah, we've, I've seen a few of those. It's like, you know, this pristine, like one of the, you know, man-made wonders of the world. Right. And they just explode like five of them. The Chinese right. government is going to be so angry. Yeah, that you broke that you them. destroyed. There's only, yeah, there's only a, a finite amount of these. And now like five of them are just exploded. Right. <laughs> um, yes. But I, in particular, yeah, for me, the action scene in the house um, where Shen's fighting Wendy's brother really is like, I, it's not. I don't know. The final action scene is really well done. So, mm-hmm. and like, there's every fight scene is so well done, honestly. But like, that one is peak for me because, again, it's the best wire work where you're like, this looks so organic and natural, but it also mm-hmm. means where you're like, oh, yeah, this is a place where magic exists and people can do this. Right. And then, like, this elaborate comedy of manners part to it where he's, de- you know, Shen is desperately trying not to wake up Wendy. Right. And at one point, her brother picks up two fish and just yeets them at him. <laughs> and he has to save them and then carefully, right. like... Put them back. Like, slide over things. Yeah. Yes, it, like... And I think that's something you talked about. Like, I like that sort of slapsticky element. It, it's reminiscent of, like, a Jackie Chan movie because, you know, we were talking about how, like, all kung fu movies have this sort of mystical element. And a part of Jackie Chan's appeal was, like... In a lot of his movies, he's just a regular guy. Like, the joke is he's just a regular guy who happens to be able to do all these crazy things. And yeah. so much of, like, his incredible choreography is, like, surviving cartoonish scenarios with incredible feats of athleticism. Um, yeah, and, like, I... And again, in terms of, like, why DCOMs exist, talking about, like... You know, we talked about High School Musical being this, like, spark plug for a lot of kids getting into musical theater or being, like, leaning into performance elements. I do like that this... Because, like, you know, for a lot of kids, you don't get exposed to non-American films, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Granted, this is an American film, but the fact that it leans so much into, like, the tropes and designs and, like, effects of, like, international martial arts films, I think is a net good because it's, like, yeah, that introduces kids to these concepts. It makes them want to... It can encourage them to study more and, like, look into different versions of this that don't come from America. Right. Like... 
as a person who thinks about these things too much, I am like, look, the Disney company has a bit of a responsibility to like film history, not just their film history. Mm -hmm. And I do appreciate that they took the time to put this much polish and effort into like a very international kind of like choreography and fight style. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Like they really spared no expense. Well, it's like the, the the extent that they go to it with the action and, and the like special effects, if you will, the, the, the cutting, well, it's like my, my inclination is to be like, Oh, so they kind of cheaped out on like the writing and the script, but it's like, no, they didn't cheap out on the writing of the script. But, like, my issues with this film are just, like, ills of the time. <laughs> like, I am just... I'm, I'm just caught up on, like, the racism of the film. <laughs> yeah, it's... This is a messy film. Let's not... Let's not yeah. shortcoat it. Mm-hmm. It is a fun, lovable... It is lovable in many ways, but it's also a messy, messy But it's also messy. messy. And, you know, I, I wanted to go in and have fun watching this, but it's like, damn... Uh, I, I had a lot of issues with this movie coming back to it. Um, do you want to, uh, yeah, we just dive head first into the plot? We have to. Yeah. Okay. Like, you know, this film kind of unabashedly <laughs> centers Chinese culture as like weird or other, which is so fucking weird. Like to have this the film simultaneously be about Chinese culture, but also making, like, a point to, like, make it look strange and, like, make everybody indicate how, like, weird it is. Like, I... It's... It just got a lot of a cringe out of me that, like... Even, even from the lead, even from Wendy, she is still... She even treats it as if, like it's weird or insane. Like she kind of has not very much respect for it for most of the movie. Yeah. It's, it's tricky because like they clearly want it to be this aspirational thing at the end. The fact that she changes out of her homecoming outfit into a more quote unquote traditional Chinese sort of outfit. Like the fact that she sacrifices being a homecoming queen for the sake, which I will get to. Yeah. 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 We got to talk about that. Like, where, like, she makes sacrifices to be a part of this greater thing. You know, they have this scene where her parents are lamenting, like, you know, we're so out of touch with our culture. We Like, we've spent so much time trying to fit in that we don't know these things. Mm-hmm. Like, there is clearly an effort to straddle the middle. And sometimes the idea of this, like, culture being, like, quote-unquote, like, outside is played as judgmental. Like, judgmental yeah. toward uh, the people to insiders, not to Wendy and her family. Like, you know, the fact that, like, all of the high schooler kids are like, oh, that Shen is so weird, and they don't like him until he, like, dresses up like a normal person. That's clearly framed as, like, no, he shouldn't have to change who he is. And there's one line that always gets me where Shen's at the party. He's now cool because he put on clothes. Because he had a trying-on-clothes montage at the mall. Yeah. I mean, look, they... It is so funny how many, like, high school-y Disney Channel sitcom tropes are involved in High School Musical, where you're yeah. like, yeah, where you're like, oh, yeah, you gotta, you, you gotta have the sitcom bits in there. Mm-hmm. Again, it's sitcom plus. Yeah. Um, but anyway, like, one of them's like, you don't hear the question, but you hear Shen go, Yao Ming? I've never heard of him. What temple is he from? 
And you're like, clearly we're supposed to like roll our eyes at the kid asking that question. Are but we? at the same time... Are you sure? Because I, I don't see so. it that way at all. Like, I don't... I don't see any grace for... Like, I, I, I don't think... I think we're judging the, the white kids that are asking that question. But, like, I think the joke... Like, I think these are just straight-up Chinese jokes. It's tricky. I mean, again, it's tricky because we're in a very different time yeah. period. Like, where, you know, again, you know, someone writing this in 2005... If they were thinking it, they were not raising this question when they're working with the director and the producers. Like, like to me, the, the joke is that, like, Shen is, like, the joke is that Shen is disconnected from Western culture. And, like, the joke is kind of on him, that he doesn't even know who, like, basketball superstar Yao Ming is. Maybe. I will say, that is one area of the film. There are two, like, sort of, I hate to be plot holy about it, because that's mm-hmm. such an annoying discourse. But, like... The one is the fact they let him keep his hair so that he blends in better. And yet they don't think like, hey, maybe show we should him just TV. make sure he knows things. Yeah. And it's one of the jokes I actually do like. Because Doctor Strange also plays in some problematic space, which is just unfortunately ingrained in the Doctor Strange character of like yeah. this white guy going to like Shangri-La, like the mystical Asian paradise and learning how to do Kung Fu fire, like firecracker Kung Fu, as someone described it. Um, like... But they do have the one joke where he's given a little piece of paper that says, like, Shambhala, which is, like, his old catchphrase in the comics. And it's, like, it's a Wi-Fi password. And it's, like, not, like, you know, they might follow, like, ancient monk traditions, but they're still, like, people who exist in 2015. Like, they they know the world exists. It's just, like, I just, like, there's too many little pieces to me, like... That I'm like, why are y'all making fun of this? Like, I, and I'm I'm criticizing the family, like Wendy's family, because, you know, the mom she works for this museum. She's some kind of curator. Um, she even when she's like retelling like what she's learning about the new artifacts that she that has have come in or like the new art pieces, she kind of like is is retelling these myths as being like ooh like magic and like she she's kind of like winking and joking. And then, yeah, at one point, like, the dad does this, like, fake, like, kung fu voice where he, like, do you remember that scene, like, where he's, like, off to work and he jokingly does, like, a, oh, like, he, like, do you remember that? Like, they're all, like, making fun of this. And I'm like, yo, isn't your mom upset, like, like, your own mother, (laughs) like, this is, this is your culture. Yeah. Like, like, your mother is an immigrant, like this is her culture. Like, why don't any of you like even have a little bit of reverence for this? And ex- she yeah, almost ex- certainly faced this unironically yeah. at some point in her life. Right. Dealing with people like doing shit like you're doing right now, but like yeah. in a more threatening antagonistic tone. And like what, what really got me is this like, this like phone call I, I have in my notes here, the world's most racist three-way phone call is what I put it. But it's like when, um, after like, the first time, like, Shen shows up at school and, like, she's on the phone with her two friends and she's trying to explain that, like, he's her cousin, like, or whatever, blah, 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 blah. And, like, one of them suggests, like, writing vote for Wendy on chopsticks and passing them out at lunch. I I actually was, was going like, to send you a message about that when I was <laughs> Like, and then Jessica calls and interrupts their call and then she's like, 
oh, I hope he gets you, like, the monk vote or something. Like, she makes some kind of, like, backhanded kind of racist remark and then gets hung up on. And I'm like, I can't believe we're doing this right now. Like, Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> Wendy, you should strongly reconsider your friend circle. Yeah, like, what like, the heck? That's, like, a li- that's, that's really over the line. Yeah. Like, look, I know friends get each other's goats sometimes and probably say stuff that could get them canceled, but there's a line no. and, and I just leaped over it. And I'm like, like, okay, like, and that's where I'm like, all right, this film isn't holding any of these people accountable. Like, this, all of this is just framing it like, oh boy, Wendy has a lot on her plate right now. Like, and not like, hmm. Like, the only person that gets held accountable is this weird boyfriend that she's got. Who, which is one of the great subplots in Disney history. That yeah. He just becomes obsessed with being a model. And slowly yeah. <laughs> morphs himself into a model. It doesn't fit in with anything else nope. in this movie. I mean, it kind of does in the broad sense of, like, again, if this movie is about, like, embracing your culture and, like, not being afraid of being different. Right. And, like, him slowly homogenizing himself to look like a magazine cover. Yeah. I'm like, there's something there. And I think I think what we're discussing is, like, with a little more time and a little more space to breathe and a tight, like a larger budget, so you're not like scrambling to get all of this done, I do think you would sit down and really think about like all of these implications and spend a little more time sort of stitching the pieces together. It does remind me of that bit from, and I hate to keep bringing up these films because it's generalizing, but like fucking Luck of the Irish, that one line of at least somebody got paid, clearly that was someone in the process looking over the scope of this film. And then looking at the fact that they cast a black actor right. as his friend, and we're like, hey guys, we should we have to acknowledge this. But yeah. at that point, you're so in deep, you've already scripted out and like got your shot list down for every single day, and you cannot afford to miss a single... Like, if a shot right. gets missed on that list, you're just not filming it. Like, right. you do not have time to come back. So you just throw that one line in, and it's like, well, hopefully that's enough. Yeah. And I do think that's... If I was going to, like, psychoanalyze this film and figure out what happened, it's like... The writers did want to tackle these ideas of, like, Wendy struggling with the fact, like, her entire arc is becoming the homecoming queen, which is, like, this embodiment of, like, white homogeny in the mm-hmm. U.S. Like, it's the ultimate, like, you're a part, you're in, you're an American now. Yeah. Well, like, all of these outside forces both, like, and, like, we talked about, like, High School Musical being, like, oh, when the emotions are too big, you turn into a bombastic singer. Mm-hmm. This is a maybe racially profiling version of that, but it's a version of that where it's like, yeah, the emotions have gotten so big that like a literal demon, like resurrecting demon has come to Mm -hmm. take over the world and you're going to have to rise up and fight them. Right. You know, I mean, I think a lot of this could be solved if Yon Lo had like a personality beyond I want to destroy everything. Beyond like Like, Shredder. Yeah. Yeah. Being like the like tap water Shredder. Yeah. It's like if, (laughs) His existence somehow clashed with, like, Wendy's existence. I think that would be... And, like, a, you know, again, visual shorthand, the fact that she he takes the form of Jessica at the end is kind of that. Right. But, again, we're like, how much of this is Jessica? How much of this is Jan Lo? Like, we don't know. Why, why are you evil, Jan Lo? Why do you, like, do you right. want to bring all of... Chi- Did you want to bring all of China to heal? Yeah. And this, like, outsider The Jan Lo part is such an afterthought. You? Like... It's a conflict without, like... Your antagonist ideally needs to somehow be, like, the mirror or, like, directly get in the way of what the protagonist wants. Right. Like, the protagonist, Wendy, wants to fit in. That's her whole thing. Yeah. She wants to be a part of, like, you know, 
She wants to be the homecoming queen. She wants to be the most American thing you can be. Right. Which is so funny because our high school didn't have a homecoming because we just put all of our chips in the prom basket. Yeah, we did. We we crowned a homecoming king and queen, but it like it was just the game. Like it was just a football game. Like you, we didn't have a dance or anything like that. Mm-mm. Yeah. You know, it's like I, I want to talk about this homecoming element here because it's like mm-hmm. I feel so conflicted like. I really hate the dismissal of what Wendy wants for herself. I never, like, it bothers me so much. And I think it's so unfair that, that, like, the harshest judgment that this film has of its characters is that Wendy, like, wants to be homecoming queen. Like, that it's kind of, like, belittled by her family. It's kind of belittled by her grandmother. And I... From, like, I guess from a female standpoint, like, I see just, like, a hair of misogyny in that, of, of like, what is important to women is, like, inherently unimportant in the grand scheme of life or is frivolous in some way. And yet, yeah, like, if, if this really is a story of sacrifice, like, like, that's what I have to ask myself. Like, is this film communicating that, like, oh, like, being a monk is in is a sacrificial life choice in the same way that like being a priest is or like something like that i don't know or becoming a nun and is like is is wendy having to take that journey as well of like making a grand sacrifice but it was like if you do the math like this was a sacrifice she didn't really need to make (laughs) i was i was just gonna like to like that that's jumping to the end like there's a point in here where the story starts to actually like make sense to me and i kind of get on board and for whatever weird reason it's the point where she makes the agreement with Shen that he's going to, like, help her study or, like, help her with this this history test. And she'll train in exchange for that. Like, and I guess that got me on board because I finally started to see her run for Homecoming Queen as being feasible. Like, I don't know why we're, like, it, it, it got me on board because I feel like, okay, great, we're finally getting back on track with the whole Homecoming thing. Which, like, I guess in my mind... I'm kind of rooting for her to get the thing that she wants. Like there's, and I don't see a reason that she can't have what she wants. And yet this film sort of like, doesn't really do a good job of explaining why she can't be homecoming queen. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's why the ending pisses me off so much because she does the right thing. She shows up for the fight. I will say like, I kind of love Shin as a character. Like, yeah, I, I know it's such a tired trope of like, Oh, I'm I'm from a different country. I don't know what a cappuccino I don't know anything. is. I'm like, yeah. China has coffee, right? Um, like surely, surely, like they know what caffeine is. Like they know on. what chocolate is, um, right? It's like yeah, like China like traded with other countries. They know, like yeah. even ancient Chinese people would know what chocolate is. Right. Come on now. Um, but like anyway, like I like him because I just love that bit at the end where he shows up for the fight himself, and he's I think he has the line I wanted to write it down. I might be one, but I have the will of many. And I'm like, fuck, that's such a badass <laughs> And it's like, that's the frustrating thing. You, you know, as an adult, you see all the strings of this that don't work. But then you see that one part like that, or when Wendy's literally, like, come fighting her teachers to, like, learn all these skills. And you're like, fuck, so much of this works on, like, a visceral, emotional level yeah. that you kind of want to excuse all the things we're pointing out. Like, I feel like right. we're more negative than we want to be, but that's because exactly. it's like, what else can we say about the action other than it's really, really, really good? Right. Like... Yeah, but, like, for me, so she shows up, finally helps win the day, and then 
Jessica, like, gets sent out of her, like, possession trance, and it's like, where the hell am I? And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, this possession thing creates some problems, doesn't it? And yeah. Wendy's like, oh, you're home. I'm not going to be homecoming queen. And I'm like, girl, the fight's over. Why? You can go. You can yeah, you run. Tripper. Like, yeah, it's fine. You won. You did <laughs> you the thing. You actually the right won. Thing, like, and you can still be rewarded for it. Like, you would win even if you didn't show up. Like, I don't, yeah. Like, what, why are you foregoing this? Like, I mean, fuck, at least one or two of these teachers had to be there too, and they're not there, right? Right. You know, like, earlier you said something pointed about, um, like, the idea of, like, wh- like what is the point of this enemy um, if if it's not Jessica? And, like, even Wendy makes some kind of indication to that when she shows up and sees that it's Jessica. She has one of my favorite lines when she's like, right. well, you should have told me it was Jessica. I would have been here yesterday. And it's a great line. Again, and this I'm like, really fucking funny. It is. Okay, wait. Can we talk about, like, some of the funniest, like, one-liners here? Like, when, after she... After she has, after she gives Shen his like makeover or whatever, and he shows up at school, which is like, this is just like an adult man like showing up at school. Like, why is he here? <laughs> like, this, that would never be allowed today. But like, he shows up at school and he's got the makeover and like everyone's freaking out. And her two friends are like, oh my God, is that Shen? And one of them has the funniest line where she's like, oh my God, is that Shen? Wait, does he know that Tony and I are fighting a lot? I'm like, there's a plot of, like, her Again, friend having this boy the, drama. And he's like, does he know Tony and magic- I are fighting a lot? I think that's one of the things I love about this movie. And it's why it's a little, like, raggedy and shaggy with the plot. Where it has so many weird little threads that don't really go right. anywhere. No. Or the fact that the... Or the fact that her brother is like, I need to learn kung fu moves so I can be better at football. And then he tries <laughs> to do the one flip piece. Like, I figured it out. And just eats yeah. table. Right. <laughs> Cracks his back on a table. Yeah. Class. And, and then later he's like, I can do that move. And is like, the yeah. girl next to him is like, yeah, sure. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yes. Um, yeah. Like, it's, like, again, it has all of these little like weird sitcom mannerisms that all the good decomps have. And I just, like, every, every other line is so funny. Or even just, like, some of, like, like the teacher's lines, um, like, where it's like, how how did we end up here? Or the fact that Shen kind of leans into the fact that he has this very sort of, like, deadpan, right. sort of very literal enunciation, where he'll just keep being sarcastic, but because he says everything the same way, you, yeah. it's not immediately clear. <laughs> and then he's like, ah. And I'm like, okay, that's yeah. He's got to go, da, 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 da. like he's got to <laughs> deliver his own shtick. <laughs> yes, but like anyway, back to but like back to the ending with the homecoming queen. I think it is like, especially because like a whole subplot in terms of sacrifice is Shen is like, yeah, well, prophecy dictates that I like I have to sacrifice myself to give you the last little bit of power you need to beat him. Oh, and that's also my other thing. It's like. The f- they thought the fight was over, so she could have run. And even if they knew the fight was going to keep going, it only went on for, like, two more minutes. Yeah. Yang Lo, like, taking... He's never shown up in his physical form before. And I'm like, I see why you use possession. Your physical form sucks, dude. You guys... Yeah, you can't do anything with this. By, like... It's also so funny just because I've been playing a lot of the new Legend of Zelda. And I'm like, this is literally just Breath of the Wild, where they lean into the whole idea that it's a cycle of reincarnation mm-hmm. and, like, repeating loops. And at the end of Breath of the Wild, Ganon, like, is like, I'm sacrificing my form to get one last shot at you, grrr. Right. Um, and I'm like, God, that's so weird that this is the same, like, resurrection arc. But anyway, like, Wendy makes a sacrifice to make sure he lives. Mm-hmm. And 
or like some kind of and and it's like okay the cycle's broken like we can all move on and you will live like a normal life and then pass away and i'm like it feels like a part of the plot is like you can have it both and that's like yeah you, know, you don't have to sacrifice fitting in at the cost of your identity or vice versa yeah and that is what the like training montage or like the i'll train if you teach me history thing is also like about invocative of this idea that you can have both so like the ideal ending is she does get to be homecoming queen too yeah like like that is i i again i hate that yeah it's frustrating I, like, I, i'm very annoyed that i keep bringing up luck of the irish here but that's the ending of luck of the fucking irish right. because he has his irish heritage now but at the same time he's still the same cool kid like right. he's still the popular kid still at the school. Guy. he didn't have to choose one yeah. <laughs> you know, like, if this is supposed to be a film, and, like, it's time to talk about the scene, like, and I said this to you over messaging, like, privately, that it's so weird that there is only one scene in this whole movie that that cleanly and concisely illustrates this idea about, like, having integrity in regards to our heritage, staying true to our heritage and, and feeling connected to who we are on a deeper level. That like the, it, like if, if that's the message of this film, the, the one scene that, that successfully communicates that is the scene with the father over these mooncakes. <laughs> right. And like, how do they somehow write like a, a great conversation that gets happen that, that happens over that. And somehow that that messaging I I feel like gets muddied, like you said, like everywhere else in the in the film. But somehow this this one scene, I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like I'm seeing it, and these characters that not none of which are Wendy or Shen for that matter are like talking it out, and and he just tells a story of his childhood, and like the way that it made him feel in the moment as an adult to like see something that brought him back to childhood and it made him feel sad. Yeah, because he sacrificed one thing to become a different thing. And the story yeah. needs to be about, like, you know, coexisting. But I guess it's, like, in the traditional sort of, like, storytelling, sort of, like, you know, the storytelling books, it's, like, your protagonist needs to sacrifice something. They need to realize that their goal has changed. And it's, like... I think that's a really good point you make. And I'm going to be honest. I think that scene gets cut from some of the TV recordings because I swear to God, I swear certain yeah. cuts of this film did not have that scene. But you know the one area that I think that energy is also applied? Why? The action scenes. Oh, interesting. it's like, even the beginning one, like we start with this cold opening in this like monastery temple and... Like, Shen is, like, fighting all these guys, and then he starts goofing around with the one, like, pulling his right. shirt up. Like, this idea of, like, you know, tradition with doing your own thing. And then we have the fight scene in the house, where Shen is trying really hard to keep everything in this house intact and not, like, disrupt this, like, tranquil suburban family's life as best he can. Mm -hmm. To the point that he's literally diving for plastic fish that are so obviously yeah, plastic. I know. He keeps having to move his hands to <laughs> the illusion that they're moving, that they're which alive. I love. Yeah. No notes. That's the energy right. you hear people. Exactly. And, like, again, perhaps the most pointed one is the fact that, like, when it's like, okay, now we have to get serious about your training. We have to summon, like, the different, um, 
like animal, like uh, spirit monks. Or, yeah. Which, like, again, I see why my friends like this because it's like, uh, like my friends are suckers for like corrupt, like martial arts stuff and yeah. like sort of mythological lore. So I'm like, oh, of course they like that. There's like animal coded like magical abilities. Right. Get, exactly. Um. But, like, yeah, she goes, I'm not fighting. Like, I'm not fighting an old man in the middle of a public park. So <laughs> yeah, Shen compromises right. by bringing in his teacher. Like, you're literally having Wendy fight all of these teachers she's been fighting in school for the goal of homecoming queen. Right. Like, these are... And the fact that she shows up in her homecoming dress and they're fighting in her homecoming right? dress. Like, Those are the coolest looking scenes. Like, in this in this bright, like, tool skirt. I always thought that those looked amazing. Right? And, like, again, this is, like... And I think there's, like, a challenge with movie making where it's, like, again, it's not, like, me declaring I know filmmaking and no one else does. But it's, like, one of the challenges is, like, you have to keep writing even when it's a fight scene. You have Mm -hmm. to figure out a way for this fight to make emotional and, like, it can't just be and then they have a fight because it's time to punch. It has to be, there's, like, thematic weight to what's about to happen. Yeah. Like, it is, it ties into the themes. And I do think that's what happens here. And... It's a problem where it's, like, clearly they put so much thought and care and, like, creative ideas into these fight scenes. Not just from, like, a technical standpoint. Not just from a, oh, this would be a cool set piece to have in a movie. Right. But in terms of, like, oh, why does it make emotional sense for these characters to be fighting this way in this context? Mm-hmm. That it just gets lost in the more sitcom-y, talky scenes. Which it right. just feels like... Uh, weirdly this movie feels like a movie where sacrifices had to be made in terms of filmmaking where it's like we don't have like we could spend more time fleshing out these writing scenes and having characters explain their feelings and talk through them or we can do it in these elaborate expensive uh you know fight scenes and you know if disney's pull for this movie was you know we have a black belt in our sort of creative canon right you know what side the executives are going to take there you go yeah, like I said, I, I feel like we're being more negative for right. this just because, like, a part of this is going back to our nostalgia and seeing these things in, like, a modern lens. Right. But, like, I really do like this movie. Like, yeah, I came me back too. to this movie where I'm like, again, so much of Disney Channel Month was this, like, anxiety of, like, am I going to come back and is the magic just not going to be there? Like, am I just going to be like, this is charmless and, like, right. God, we were rubes, we got conned, like... We fall into the snake oil. And it's like, no. No. No, these things are actually, like, really entertaining, like, pieces of children's media. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. This, I mean, yeah, I feel like I've been super negative this whole time, and yet I I can't say I didn't enjoy myself watching this movie. (laughs) Right. Like, again, and a part of that is just, like, I don't think... Like, I would argue the action scenes do rival, like, some of the best choreography in Disney Channel in terms of just, like, this is where every, like, they're all locked in. And, like, we are doing something that only a Disney budget can afford on television. Right. Yeah. Could not agree more. (laughs) Yeah. It's, and it really is the hell of a thing. This was, like, so it's High School Musical, Cowbells, and then this. To have these Mm. effectively back-to-back is incredible. That they were able to, like, yeah. 
that it's like, wow, you're really seeing like, it, it's, it's, it just, it does feel like flexing. It just feels like, yeah, yeah we're Disney, we can do it all. We can have an incredible exactly. choreography, we can have incredible singing, and we can have incredible action. And we do, yeah. And it's kind of a shame that you go through the Disney Channel canon and they don't really do anything like this again. Right, exactly, yeah. And like, Ugh. yeah, because I'm looking over and it's like, what other movies did they do that had like action? And it's like, mm, not like not, this. At least not to this extent. Not combat action. Not, yeah, n- yeah, not not to this extent. Not that I can. Yeah, no. High School Musical is like the closest thing. And that's dancing. Right. Yeah. And again, this is an example of why like choreography, both like action, stunt, and dance, are like kind of. Are all in the same... It, like, it's a... Yeah, it's a... One, they're so similar, and it's, again, a travesty yeah. that we don't have, like, dedicated awards for them in all the major award shows. Right, right. Yeah, you know, like, to your point earlier about, like, the Disney 411 stuff, like, I can't believe that stuff is not available, at least on Disney+. Plus. Like, because I, I remember this having, like, kind of a big campaign going into the... Mm-hmm. Like, around this movie. Um as part of that, like, flex mentality, yeah, they wanted you to see, like, the extent that they were going into for, like, for all of these films. But especially this one, I remember a lot of, I remember especially a lot of, a lot of attention around the actor who plays Shen, which, by the way, his real life name is Shin, with an I, and they just changed it to an E, and there we go. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. Reminds me, there's that bit in um, The Office where they discover Michael's written a screenplay, and uh, <laughs> it's like a spy movie called Michael Scarn, and he has a bumbling sidekick named um, uh, I forget what is it's like some I forget what his sidekick's name is, but at some point they're reading the script, and it's just <laughs> damn it, Dwit, and it's like Dwit, Dwit. who's Dwit, and <laughs> you realize that he had written the character as Dwight, and then went. Yeah through and like control seat like literally <laughs> auto changed it to whatever the actual name was but it didn't pick up on the misspelling oh my god um that's just that's the kind of energy we have for this, yeah for exactly that. yeah um but yeah and again like again i feel so much of this discourse is like i feel like the disney channel in some ways feels like it doesn't know its place anymore because it's like well what does it mean yeah. what is disney plus and i'm like Disney Plus needs to be historical record for Disney. It's mm-hmm. literally as if you have given us access permanently to the Disney vaults. Right. Um, like, in terms of both historical record and, like, the actual content itself. And, yeah, it's, like, again, one of the things we talk about with Disney in terms of what makes Disney special is that sense of pomp and circumstance. That sense of, like, they want you to think what this is the p- pinnacle of entertainment for that year and, yeah, I, like, I want this thing to be celebrated. It's, like, the fact that they were able to pull off, like, all of this wire work, all of this, like, hand-to-hand martial arts, all of these elaborate set pieces on a TV budget on $5 million, which is a lot, yeah. but, like, relative to, like, yeah. the amount you could spend on a full, fe- like, feature-length martial arts movie isn't that much. Right. Like, that deserves to be celebrated, damn it. And I would mm-hmm. love to have access to all the behind-the-scenes stuff to be, like, Man, it's a hell of a thing they pulled off here. Yeah. And, you know, I think to, to like, kind of round out this discussion and bring it back to um, the AAPI Heritage Month, like, 
you know, when I really thought about it, thinking about Brenda Song's career, like, there are cl- next to none, like, Asian actors on the Disney Channel. I mean, other than Bre- Brenda Song was certainly the only one of her time. And since her, I, I, I believe there's only been one other Asian actor. I think there was, I think there was one on, on Jesse. Um, I think it's high time we start advocating for more Asian representation beyond the month of May on the Disney channel. Cause like, what is that? I mean, like, ev- let's not count American Dragon Jake Long. <laughs> like, right. That- let's talk about live action sitcom style. Like, they don't have Asian people, like, in their list of stars. Yeah, it, it like, especially on television, because it's like, okay, like, there's been so much discourse and so much discussion with the impending release of The Little Mermaid, which I believe, literally, today you can go see. This is, like, the first yeah. full day you can see it in theaters um, for Memorial Day weekend. And it's like... It is very important for movies because those are, like, the big things. Like, cinema is American, call it, like, film is one of the American art forms, or at least Hollywood is, rather. Mm-hmm. And, but, like, television is what we're growing up with. So much of this season, or this month of Disney Desk has been about, like, yeah, there was a time in our lives where this was just on. Like, this was a disproportionate amount of our after-school time. And it's, like, it's just as important to see diverse faces there as anywhere because again this is like a part of your life this is shaping who you are more than anything else you see Mm -hmm. a movie once every like couple of weeks once you see disney channel every damn day of your life all right exactly june 16th 2006 dear diary sorry i've been so behind on updates lately school has kind of turned into a war zone the past few weeks I really just don't get why people here are so obsessed with homecoming. Isn't prom supposed to be a bigger deal? Like, no one remembers the start of a year. I mean, I guess it's better than my last school where everyone gets up in your business about your heritage. But, yeah, Wendy and Jessica have been at each other's throats, and it's, it's getting really, really weird. Jessica doesn't seem to be coping well with the whole thing. She hasn't said much lately, and she just keeps staring. I also think I saw Wendy throw a lipstick so hard it snapped a cookie in half, but maybe that was just in my head. And also she pulled a cousin out of thin air, and their relationship is weird, man. He seems nice, though. <sighs> anyway, I'm, I'm just really looking forward to all this being over so everyone can calm down. Uh, maybe after the homecoming game, that terracotta exhibit will finally be open. I'll give you updates when it is. Love, Carter. And yeah, I guess as we're wrapping up, I guess we can talk broader about like, as we reach the end of Disney Channel month, I guess, how are you feeling? Like what, in this experiment of going back to the past, I guess how, like, what are you taking away from it? You know, um, it's so weird. I feel kind of like, like in like the weirdest word I have for it is like sort of rejuvenated because I... I feel like I'm tapping into a p- parts of myself that I have like really forgotten about this month. Like, t- can you agree with that? Like, I feel like, especially with the high school music, like m- maybe most specifically with the high school musical discussions, 
Um, I feel like I've had like a little mini return to like the core of who I am or who I've been or like um, it, it like in something as simple as just like enjoying something that I used to be so in love with and like coming back to it again as an adult um, with like no shame about that. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it's especially for me because like I feel like compared to you, I've downplayed a lot of my Disney Channel-ness more. Like, mm. you know, as I was listening to you talk about High School Musical, originally I was like, well, I don't really have a story this interesting. And as I looked over it, I'm like, that's not true. Like, this was a part of my life too. Yeah. And it really is interesting coming back and like sort of unearthing so much of your like sort of emotional spine, as it were. Yeah. Like, again, it like... I'm not going to use the word tragedy because that's melodramatic, but it is kind of sad that it feels like in the age of streaming, like kids do not have the same, like they're not going to have the same experience with this stuff as us. Like there's not, like they can just go on a streaming platform and put on whatever they want. The Disney Channel, its place is nebulous now. Like as we reach its 40th anniversary, it's reaching probably its biggest crisis of identity where it's like, well, what does the Disney Channel mean in the age of streaming? Right. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I guess I like <laughs> the the part of me the the part of me that wants to girl boss and gatekeep is like good. I'm glad this is just for us. <laughs> well, that's I mean, like I said, you know, you and me are almost thirty for God's sakes. Like, oh my God, literally almost seventy five percent of our history is the history of the Disney Channel, and yeah. you know, maybe it's okay. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Like, yeah the identity is changing because it's like, yeah, this shaped our childhood and then right. children of the future will have different avenues for media to shape them. That's true. Yeah. Any closing thoughts as we wrap up Disney Channel Month? Ugh. No, 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 that, you know, won't make me want to cry in this moment. So take us home, Carter. Yeah. I mean, nostalgia does have that power over you. It does. And until, for this specific movie, until Yan Lo returns as a dog, which was apparently a deleted scene from this movie that was setting up a sequel that never happened. Oh, God. And for the month of Disney Channel, until we come home from another day of school or work and grab the remote and flip on those memories, I'm Carter. And I'm Sydney. Have a magical day. You know what? We are all in this together. Straight up. The Disney Desk is brought to you by Carter and Sydney. Follow us on Twitter at Disney Desk for the latest updates about the show. Want more of the most magical podcast on Earth? The Disney Desk is now on Patreon. For exclusive weekly bonus content from us, go to patreon.com slash Disney Desk and become a patron for as little as $3 a month. Thank you.